0: Hey everybody this is Dave Brodbeck coming to you from my podcast video which is actually in my daughter's old bedroom anyway uh, coming up psychology three two five six advanced univariate uh, statistics it used to be called design and analysis but that was a stupid name so we changed it uh, I hope you like it this is for fall of 2019 by the way and uh, you like it or not look you have to know stuff <laughs>
1: This one, and I said this the other day, is probably conceptually the most difficult topic in the course. It's not. And it's well, you'll see why. We have to think backwards. What? What's all we know? That's funny. funny. What did I do? Did I wreck something? No, he's, his back crack was way better than mine. That's all. Okay. Very serious topic. OK, that's it. That's good. So. When we're doing hypothesis testing, we care a lot about type 1 error. Right? That's our thing. Uh, in fact, we set it. We set the alpha level, right? We set it usually at 0.05. We talked the other day, how uh, that makes sense to use different alpha levels. Like, say, public health, you might want to use 0.1, 0.15. Something where you're saying that, I don't know, there's psychics, you might want to use 0.0001. I don't know. But we usually set alpha. Our methods are set up this way. Our software gives us exact p-values. When I've shown you how to do things where you've looked up on SPSS and do like a t test or something, you actually, it tells you the probability, it doesn't just say less than 0.05, it says like you know 0.037, it actually gives you a value. So obviously we care about this. This is important to us. So it makes you think that type 2 error, or sorry, type 1 error, the probability of a false positive, is more important. The Type 2 error, which is failing to reject a false null hypothesis, and it kind of feels that way. So you kind of ask yourself, why is that true? Like, why is it the case that we see this as more important? Okay. So historically, actually, a part of this is Fisher's fault. Uh, Fisher actually. We, think, we all think of the null hypothesis as a strong man, right? The idea is something you're setting up to reject. That's what the. I mean, really, think about it. When we say there's no effect or there's no difference between, between two groups, we don't ever believe that. Right? So, in sort of argument terms, we think of it as a strong man. It, it's something we're, we're setting up to tear down. Whereas Fisher actually believed that the null hypothesis was. Possibly true. So he thought of it actually as one of two possibilities, which is a different way of thinking. I mean, I didn't realize this is somewhat subtle. So he was actually thinking that as oh, nothing happened. We always think something. Happened. So partially it's that. I think. All of our methods are set up that way, which is kind of obviously, well not kind, it's completely circular. I'm saying why are our methods set up that way? Why do we care about it? Because they are. But frankly, it's true. Everything is set up to minimize type one error. That's because we set it we care about it. Even though we almost always set it at .05, which is sort of a weird tyranny of that level of significance, it's still something that we seem to care about a great deal to the point where all the math behind this works that way. And it's easy to set up uh, the null hypothesis. It's easy to set up a straw man and say, there's no difference in these two groups. It's easy to conceptualize, isn't it? Because it's easier for me to say, nothing happened. And it's hard for me to say, something happened, and it's this. We think we know what that is, except up the experiment. But we don't know that for sure. So if we're going to compare something happened and it's this to nothing happened, that's a sort of a sensible comparison. Me. Okay? So I guess those are some reasons why? <laughs> um, and for HA to be true, and for us to conceptualize of HA being true, one of the things we have to do, is not only say that H A is true, but how big of an effect it actually is. And that's a strange thing to think about. Saying that two groups differ is one thing. Saying that two groups differ by a given amount and knowing what that amount is, that's hard. Because if I'm going to say, There's nothing nothing happened. HO is that they come from the same distribution. Mu 1 equals mu 2. That's a pretty easy thing to conceptualize. To say that HA is just they're not different. So that's all kinds of anything else. They're, They're not different. But to actually know what HA would be, to actually know what it would be in real life, that there's an effect, you actually have to know how big the effect is. And how are you going to ever know that when you can't? Yes. but how big it is. But you can't actually know it. Because if you knew it, you wouldn't have to do the experiment. Then. I was just trying to understand how you do it. What you think. Okay, yeah, two groups. Let's just take an example. We've got two groups. And one group, uh, I don't know, we'll buy the classroom after. So you guys here, and then you guys here. And I'm going to say that because you're closer, this group here is closer to the to natural light. You're going to do better on a memory tests. Okay. I'm making this up as a ridiculous <laughs> nice idea. But right. Let's just say that I'll give you a list of 20 words. This group here. This group here. And you guys, the null hypothesis is no difference. Yeah. The alternative hypothesis is there is a difference. Okay. Now, if I know how big the difference is, actually know the the alternative hypothesis, how big is the difference going to be? One? Word? Two? Seven? Maybe three, could do worse. Because you're distracted by the level Wouldn't it be different even if there was only one difference? Oh yeah, it'd be different. But how different? One. Maybe? What about 0.001? Is that enough? Sure, maybe. Yeah. If a actually know what the answer is, to say that yeah, it's going to be the difference is going to be this much. It's hard to conceptualize that in an exact way. Because we can't. It can't work 20, because there's only 20 words on my list. But it could be anything between zero, well, probably negative 20, and positive 20 words. Right. And that's crazy. I mean, so which one is it? I don't know. And I can't know. And if I did know, I wouldn't have to do the experiment. Right? Because if, if, I, if I knew it, it's like, well, I already know that, so why am I doing the experiment? It's different than, like, if you're doing something in physics, I can give you an exact value. Right? If, like, I, I can say, I like keys, I usually do this with keys. How quickly will my keys accelerate towards the ground? 9.8 meters per second squared. That's how it works. It's a law of the f- that's how freaking gravity is. That's that's always my example if anybody ever tells me there's no such thing as truth. And I say, how fast do and they usually go, I don't know. It's of course because they don't know any science, and they just go around saying things to sound smart. That may be me on a big pedestal. Just yelling and screaming or so close. There meeting go. Well of course we don't know there's no truth. And I said we're gonna stop you right there. How quickly did my keys just accelerate? This guy looks at me and he goes, I, don't know. I said, no, I knew you didn't know, but I can tell you how quickly. If I go to Mars, which is one-tenth our gravity, I think, is that right? I'm just going to make that up. Let's say it's one-tenth. Okay. I can tell you exactly how quickly my keys will accelerate. Fine. But we're not dealing with Physical laws at well at a very deep level. You right you know, so we aren't really dealing with that when we're dealing, with things, especially like the life sciences. In biology and psychology typically we don't make the we can't make super precise predictions like that. Right? And this is why I to say something like physics, they can do an experiment and say it should come out like this or like this, and they got two sets of numbers because it's things are just before exact, that's all. Because it's easy science in some respects. Because they because the models are bad. When you're doing something that's fuzzy, like psychology, like, like life sciences generally, um, when you're doing something fuzzy, you, now and then you get something that's super predictive. I worked on a project once, and we explained 99.7% of the variance. Yay, that was pretty great. Usually we're all, the world doesn't work like that. Usually we're like, uh, they're different. <laughs> and we're OK with that. Sometimes, again, if you look like population biology, because very often you go, like, OK, that's pretty precise. Or genetics, for proportions. Other times, though, when you're looking at sort of more things about behavior, looking like uh, things in, in 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 behavioral ecology, a lot of times, for example, you look at a graph and, and people will say, "Clearly, that's this kind of function." And you look at it and well, go, "That's what you think." So we don't. It's not usually that precise. So we can't do that in the more in the life sciences generally. we you do know, it? Chemistry? Is get pretty precise? It's hard to do biology and psychology because we've got these, we're dealing with living systems that have so many variables. Okay, that makes
2: sense. Yeah. Right. So we
1: can't make precise predictions about an alternative hypothesis that we can, especially in Newtonian physics. So in the best of all possible worlds, we've minimized alpha and beta, the property of a type 1 error and a type 2 error, which would then maximize power. We want to find out, if a difference is there, we want to be able to detect it. That's our our thing. Okay. Power is the probability of rejecting HO given HA is true. And again, we never can know this. Because if we knew it, we wouldn't have to do the experiment. So the probability of rejecting HO given HA is true. OK, here we go. Here's a picture that is worth at least 1,000 words. There's our HO distribution. Pretend this H1 or H8, you call it either distribution, isn't there. This is our HO. This is if HO is true, if HO is true, we're going to make a false positive alpha percent of the time. 5 of the time. We we, we take that as like a, okay, 5% of the time we're going to make a mistake. False positive. But we're okay with that because we know, because in science you're supposed to replicate things. Someone else will come along and not be able to replicate it. and be like, okay, well, good work. Whatever that effect is. Now let's pretend that we somehow know the alternative hypothesis distribution, which we cannot, but pretend that we do. And pretend that it's this size. We can't know that either, but we're pretending. So if this is true, h1, then anything past where we had alpha here, we're going to reject the null hypothesis this is our probability underneath this is from here, right? From where alpha is under H1. This area under the curve is the probability of us rejecting the null hypothesis given the alternative hypothesis is true. Here's the probability of a type 2 error, the probability of us failing to reject the null hypothesis even though the alternative hypothesis is true. Okay. Can you point that out just one more time? Of course. No, I know, know this, you know mean this, mean this mean is really a weird thing, thing to think of. Yes. So, again, if null is true, H sub O, H O, then the probability of us rejecting the null hypothesis, even though it's true, is alpha. It's right here. Small area underneath this curve here, between where alpha is underneath the H0 distribution. That's the one that most people we'll, go, okay, yeah, okay. So, so far, are you okay? Everybody's okay with that part? And that's a type one error? That's a type one error because we failed to, we were rejecting the null even though the null is true. Now let's look when the null is not true. If the null is not true, that means H1 is true. So that's this one here. But we still use the value for alpha to do the rejecting, right? So we go up, instead of just up to HO, we go up all the way to H1. What's the probability of rejecting HO, so it's got to be to the right of where we have the critical value here, and given H1 is true, so it's all this area underneath the curve here? That's our power. That's the probability of rejecting a false null hypothesis. That's this part here. All that. If H1 is true? Yes. Because a, if the null hypothesis is true, H1 must be true. So if the null hypothesis is false, H1
2: must be true. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. No, I'm so I'm Wait, 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 wait. Sorry.
1: But if the null is false, then H1 is the only thing left. So it must be true. Right? That's our power. That's here. And then to the left of that line, Underneath H one is beta. That's us failing to reject a false null hypothesis. That's a Type two error. It's a false negative. We fail to reject it. It's actually H one's true. That diagram calls H one. Okay. No, there is. Yes, please go ahead. Which one? The. The last part. Yeah. Okay. So beta is a type 2 error. That's the probability of rejecting, or sorry, of failing to reject the null, even though the null is false or that H1 is true. And those are the same thing. Think about that matrix that I had the other day of fail to reject and reject and then H0 true, one true. There's four possibilities there. Other questions? This is this starting to make some sense? Please, Better. So the power is the probability of H1 being true. And? Can we reject HO. Oh, okay. and correctly reject H? It's a correct rejection of HO. That's what power is. Please, Better. So okay, so for that like, one
2: line there, your alpha. So anywhere to the right of that we're always that's like we're accepting the
1: alternative. We're rejecting the Well, We're rejecting yeah. the null. yes. And then if it's underneath like that darker part, that's where, where we're wrong. So if No she's correct here when she says anything to the right of this line here where alpha we'll make the, our critical value. We make we we reject. Now, there's two possibilities. Either HO is true, and we've made a type 1 error, or H1 in this diagram is true, and this is our statistical power. Conceptually, I know this is not easy. Now, how many times do I stumble say, fail to reject? I need to reject. I mean, it seems to keep you straight in head, it's not easy. So, if you're to the right of that critical value, if you're to the right of this critical value here, and if you're watching this on the video, this is not helping, because I'm pointing at the screen. To the right of that critical value, we are always rejecting HO. There are two possibilities. HO is true. We've made a mistake. Or, and we never know this, H A is true, or H1 is true. Oh look! We rejected it. And there's a pr- the, it's not true. HO is not true. So we, we win. We get a publication. So so if you have your little box. Yes. Which I'm trying to quickly draw on my Yep. Um, and you have your one box where it's your type 1 error, one box where it's your type 2. Yep. HO true, HA true. Uh. Do not reject, reject, reject. Ho, reject. Joe. H-O. Ho is true, and we do not reject Ho. The least interesting possible thing that could happen. But and that's the empty, unlabeled space. This is here, underneath here, because Ho is true. Yeah. All that means this. The distribution on the left is true. Ignore the other distribution. Everything to the left of that is this. We've made a correct decision. It's a boring decision, but it's correct. It's the decision that nothing happened. Nothing happened. And nothing really does happen. Okay. Now, we're going to still be underneath HO. Yeah. We're going to reject HO. But HO is actually true. And that's true. That's your type 1 error. reject H-O so it's over here but this is true that's there, there's your power that's your power and what if we fail to reject so we get a value over here but it's actually true that's a type 2 error. I understand this. This is conceptually weird because you have to imagine something that you never know to be true. And that's it. You know you know that H.O. is false and you know by how much. And you never know that. Because if you knew it, you don't do the experiment. Let's put this over here for a second. How do you increase the power? Um... So how could you increase the power? Two-delta test. Eh, don't worry about something simple Actually, 2 test does not increase the power. It decreases the power. A one-delta test increases the power. Could you increase your significance at all? You could play with that. So how do you need? You say. Like Things a 0.5. Right. Yes, you could. You could make alpha bigger. <laughs> yeah. You could! you could. Why don't we make alpha bigger? Yeah, go ahead. If you make alpha bigger, it's easier to uh, reach significance. Of course so it is. There's less area which would be under beta. That's right. But there's a problem here, and that's that people don't You usually know, should practically allowed to do that. You can do it under certain circumstances. At public health, we don't care so much about false positives. If we say that cigarette smoking inside is bad for people who don't smoke, or that you should know, have water in your water, water tend to use sort of much higher in alpha levels, and that's fine. I'm all for that. I, I don't care that all oh, the inconvenience of people who smoke having to go outside. Or the inconvenience of boiling water. So false positive is another way of saying a thing to the error. No, false positive is a typework. Oh False Right. Let's say yeah, you're pregnant and you're not pregnant. Oh, okay. By the way, I pitched my our idea of the of the crying, either a baby or a mother. Throughout a pregnancy test idea we had, my wife thinks it's gold. <laughs> I'm just saying it. we made new visits. So I thought we Mark bigger on her. So we we can make alpha bigger, but we practically can't. Let's it's a flight of fancy. Let's make the difference between mu one and mu zero bigger. Let's just move this the alternate alternative hypothesis distribution over to the right. We can't do that because that would make us gods. But Theoretically, one could. Practically, one cannot. <laughs> but let's say that there's uh, the difference between the two groups is four word, is two words. No, now it's seven. Well, it's going to make it easier to find a difference than you can't do. It's practically impossible. It's technically or theoretically possible. Now, one of the things we could perhaps, here's another idea. What if we made these, don't change the, the, the mean differences. What if we just tightened up these distributions? Right, and there'd be less overlap. But the problem, as you can see, really, it's overlap. If the distributions don't overlap, there's no problem. Right? So why don't we just tighten the distributions up? And you're going to say, well, how can we do that? We can't magically change parameters any more than we, like for for variance, any more than we can magically change the parameter for mean. And you're right, except that, remember, we're not dealing with the parameters themselves. I don't know what this extra point here is, but let's again it's there's something there that's very important that everyone watching on YouTube is missing. <laughs> <laughs> so by the way, remember how that formula did to show up? It shows up on the YouTube video. Something weird happened. Really wacky. Anyway. Well, we can't change parameters, but we're not dealing with parameters. We're not dealing with parameters of individual variables, we're dealing with parameters of the, the variance of the sample distribution. Oh, wait a second. We get a less overlap. Sigma squared sub x bar is a function of n. Right? That's what we care about because we deal with sampling distributions. And we know that sigma squared sub x bar equals, by the central limit theorem, we know it's sigma squared over n. We can control n! That's a thing we can do! And if we make n bigger, sigma squared sub x bar gets smaller. Because sigma squared changes, it stays the same. Don't, don't, so confused. Sigma squared stays the same, it's a parameter, it can't change. But n can change. We can make n bigger. We can select collect more data. Chris? You also decrease your That's in essence what you're doing by far, more observations. More, more, uh, that's what we do. you're doing. The error, any error is stuff we can't explain. And in this case, there's only two sources of error there's different to two groups, and there's different individuals. And that's where we get some of the of error. So we're actually doing what we are saying. Think about this. If I take, okay. sigma squared doesn't change. But sigma squared, but n changes. As n gets bigger, sigma squared over n must get smaller. It can't get bigger. You're dividing by a bigger and bigger number. Can you only decrease Well, You can decrease it. Why don't you do that? you the less now. Right? It's going to make variance bigger. Let's make it smaller. And we can make it smaller when we make it n bigger. Now there's going to be less return, marginal marginal, uh, diminishing returns here every time we increase n. Like going from 10 to 20 is a big advantage. Going from 20 to 30 isn't nearly as much. So that's something we can actually control. And n is going to be numbers? Number of observations. That's the one thing that we can change. And we can actually, that's it's practical and theoretically sound. We can actually just change the number of subjects, get more of them. And so because this thing stays the same, sigma squared, the n changes, which makes sigma squared sub x bar a smaller number, which means the variances, uh, sorry, the two distributions don't overlap as much. Okay. size of the effect like the, the difference is mu1 minus mu0. But it's mu1 minus mu0. We have to standardize this because sometimes there's going to be overlap between distributions and sometimes there's not. Okay, Or there's less of them. So, the difference, the st- the, this difference, we're going to say it's mu sub 1 minus mu sub 0 divided by sigma. We're just dividing by the standard deviation. Okay. It's the same thing we do, actually, when you think about it, it's kind of like a z. Okay. We're just going to get standard deviation units. Now, it's interesting here because... Um, You might ask yourself, how did I get here? (laughs) Sorry, I just went all talking heads on myself there for a moment. Just love my beautiful wife. How are you going to? We don't know that. Well, prior research, maybe they look at all kinds of prior research and say, oh, I see the the, 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 uh, standard deviation is about this big, and the difference between the two means is about that big. So that's the effect size usually. That's one way to do it. Because you're gonna have to sort of guess that, right? But a better question, because we really can't know this. A better question is: how big is big enough? How much, how big of a D do we need to be happy that we found something? How old were you guys? What grade were you guys in? you a penis joke? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> you guys are. <laughs> See, nobody giggles when I talk about bird memory and I mention great tits. No, it's just a word. Okay, I did. Oh, you did? An animal cognition. Yeah, okay. Yes. And how Iran has great tits. <laughs> did I say that? Yeah. Because they do. It's great tits, Yeah. yeah. are. Blue tits, cold tits, marsh tits, Siberian tits, wood tits. <laughs> All tits. Cut the tit mice. <laughs> I've told you the story about doing that search that i for that book. <laughs> yeah. That when you Googled,
2: Google,
1: like, great. It wasn't Google. It was because it was pre Google. So I was coming find it. was oh, a I was using it in 1996. I was writing a paper, and I needed a reference that said how much a chickadee weighed. I knew how much a chickadee weighed, but I needed to put it in the paper. I, I knew they weighed 11 grams, but that's that some shipping costs. Between like, 9 and 12 grams, they don't vary a lot. I knew if I had a copy of the book, British Tits.
2: <laughs>
1: I knew it was not, But I didn't have a copy. So I thought, well, I'll search it out, and I'll find the information about the book. This is pre-Amazon, so you couldn't just search for a book. We didn't have it in our library, so I thought, I'll just do an internet search. So I went to, I think it's Lycos at the time, like Excite or any one of these. And I typed in the word British Tits. Because that's the name of the book. And I literally, I'm writing, so I'm not even thinking about it. I've got one computer here that I'm writing about, and the other computer is my work computer. And you can imagine what's coming up at this point. That's something Yeah, and then William Osai, geography prof, he puts his head in to say something, and he goes, Oh, no, no. no. <laughs> and he just walks away, and I said, No, i for <laughs> I didn't help at all. <laughs> Give me help. <laughs> I never, yeah, I bet he's forgotten that. So I don't, But every time I see him, I've worked with the guy for of years. I think. I wonder if he thinks I just quit. What I doing. I then eventually went to British Text Book and I didn't help. <laughs> I finally I emailed somebody said who wrote the book first? And and I got anything back and it was fine and I found the everything it was good. <laughs> so anyway, how big is big of how big a difference do we have to find before we're happy? But if there is a difference between the two sides of the classroom in your memory, what if it's only 0.1 words? Does it matter? We, remember I talked about practical significance the other day? We probably don't care. So Cohen has this idea of how big an effect has to be and tells you how much overlap there is between distributions, Cohen's method. So uh, what Cohen calls a small effect, has a D of 0.2, 85% overlap. A medium effect, 0.5, is 67% overlap. That means two-thirds of each distribution overlap with each other. And a large effect, still more than half, they overlap. So you take a look at that and you say, what am I interested in? And usually people say twenty five because it's somewhere in the middle, okay? And that's just conventional. Let's see how
2: percent overlap.
1: So that's how much the two distributions actually overlap with each other. Like if you
0: picture the two, that's the center. And
1: the two that we have in that other picture, those overlap just by... Those are probably less than 50%. If you think about a medium effect, which is what most people tend to use when they these power calculations, there's the null, 67%. Here's HA. So that's how much overlap there is. That's actually less. That's, no, that's actually about 2 thirds. Um, those two distributions overlap about 2 thirds of each other. And that's what a medium effect is. Take the one that we add in that picture, it's probably more like a large effect. About half. That's about two-thirds of it looks like from. So what you do, well, you wonder, what do we do next? Well, we combine the effect size idea. We don't calculate effect size. We just say, how big of an effect is big enough for me? And usually, by conviction, you say medium. So you say 0.5. And then, We come up with what's called the delta statistic. That's a delta. That's not an 8 that isn't finished. That's a lowercase Greek delta. Okay? Delta equals the D that you're interested in, so maybe 0.5, times how n affects the statistic you're using to test. Now if it's a t test, it's the square root of n. Right? Think about a t-test formula. It's got the square root of n in it. So F of N is how n affects the a given test. So for a t-test, as I said, F of n equals the square root of n. I didn't, I, I was being lazy and I didn't make a square root sign. That's not check mark n bar. It's supposed to be root n. Okay? Look at the t-test formula, you know it, it has at the bottom, sigma. Oh, sorry. S over root n. So root n is what we care about. If, if it's a different kind of test, analysis of variance, it's going to just be n. Because it uses n, not a square root. Which is what we'll talk about when we talk about analysis of variance in the course. Okay. So we have this information. It's like, where, where, what's, what's this goal? Eventually, we want to solve for n. This actually isn't that bad. If you know D, but you don't, but you say how much is big enough, and it's 0.5 or 0.8 or whatever, you can now figure out the given sample size. You can figure out the sample size needed to get a given power. So let's say we know D is 0.5. So we put that into 0.5, which is what you would normally pair. And we want to, let's say we want a power of 0.8. That would be nice. If there's something there, we want to find it 80% of the time. That's pretty good power. There's a 4 in 5 chance that we're going to find something if it's there. Okay. You look it up in your textbook in the appendix called power. There's actually an appendix called power and you have to know the D, you have to know the power you want, and you have to know the alpha, easy. which is almost always going to be 0. 5. 0. 0.05. So, there's another one of those blank points. So we see D equals 0. 0.5, 1 minus theta is going to equal 0. 0.8, alpha is going to be 0. 0. 0.05. This is from the book, I'll zoom in on this in a second. But as you can see here, you can't see, it's kind of hard to see. We're going to know all these things. This is going to tell us what delta equals. Let's just get rid of this stuff and zoom in. Okay. So, 0.8. Our delta is going to be 2.8. It's just reading something from a table. And we're just going to do some simple math. Where did that come from? Is that another formula? No, I I, I just rearranged. And I squared it because I don't want square root of n. Right? Remember before, we have the... uh, Delta. delta equals right d times the square root of n. In our case, right? We want to isolate n don't we? because we want to just find out how many subjects we need. So what we're going to do is we're going to go. We'll square this, so delta equals d squared times n. Oh, sorry, yeah, we have to square both sides, so delta squared. And then that means that n equals delta over n squared. It's just rearranging. You've, you did this in grade 7. It's just algebra. okay? has been a long time, but I've just rearranged things to isolate n. That's all I've done. That's the magic. And the last one is the delta over d? Delta. Uh, it should be over d, yeah, you're right. I looked up, I said I want a 0.5, but I want a 0.8 power and a 0.05 level of significance. I looked it up in the table and it says, Oh, your delta is 2.8. So I put it in the formula. I take 2.8, divide by 0.5, and I square it. I get 31.36, which means I need 32 people. That's all that. that that's that. It's literally that simple. So for a t-test, a simple one-sample t-test, and I want to find something with 0.8 power, and I want to have 0.05 level significance and a 0.5 effect size, I need 32 people to find it and have that power. That's really all you do. It's that simple. I just subbed into a formula. Now, I will tell you there are online power calculators nowadays where you don't have to actually do all this by hand, but doing this by hand is not that hard. What if we want to increase the power? Let's make our power down 0.99. We want a 99% chance we find it. So now when you look it up, we now need 4.2 for our delta. Wow. Everybody now laugh because it says 4.20 because this is what the level of maturity is for. <laughs> 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 he said Pi. So is 20 years later still more like So now we look it up and we need 4.2, suddenly we need 71 people. So to get we're going from what that's uh, 80 to 99, basically hundred so that's 20%, 20 percent 20 to get 25 percent increase in power, we need more than double people, right? Any good stats textbook, like the one you have in this course, uh, or a graduate little stats book? My, the one I have called Experimental Design for Kurt, it actually has graphs in the back, like right? charts and just read and you say, the effect is this big, or it literally just a curve? And you go, oh, I need that many people. Pretty straightforward. Radiation, there's online calculations you can do that. Online calculators that do this work. I have a question that might be totally off. That's fine. Okay, so you're basically saying that we can find statistics that play significant results with anything
0: if we have the right.
1: And if we, if they differ by a certain amount, we have said that's the w difference. Right. Okay. So that's see, that's a huge assumption you're talking about, right? Well, that's what I'm wondering yeah. because of the. It just seems like we're manipulating. Well, no, we're not manipulating anything. What we're saying is, if the difference, we are. I am interested in the difference where at least the d is 0.5, and there was a 67 percent overlap of greater. If it's less than that, I'm not interested because it doesn't matter. So you make a practicality, right? There are all kinds of, say, there are all kinds of sex differences between men and women that are so small they don't matter. They're uninteresting in in your behavior Like they're just uninteresting. Okay. So if I was to look at something like, okay, if I said aggression. There's about one standard deviation level difference between men and women on average in adult humans in their level of aggression if you measure based on these questionnaires on. It's about a standard deviation, which is 0.15. One standard deviation, so a 0.15 difference. So the overlap there is about 80 percent, 82 percent. That's a little small difference, it's 0.2. Do I find that interesting? it fits into a lot of things, I think, yeah. So I, I would find that interesting, and I would say I have no problem with point two. Now let's say you're still, let's think of some other variable that well, we know there's no difference. Jesus, I don't know. Uh, How about ability to taste to detect salt. <laughs> I just can't be a <laughs> let's say there is. Let's say we're slightly better than them to and solution. Okay. But let's say the difference is, so there really is a difference in the real world, but the overlap is like 99%. So there really is a difference, but it doesn't matter to me. Okay,
2: and the overlap That's how much those two
1: distributions are on top of each other. And that increases the
2: chance
1: that you'll make an error. Yeah, but if we have enough subjects, we can it. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So like, is there literally no thing in the entire world? Well, you're like, okay, I need 30 million people. Oh yeah, if you test 30 but, million people, you'll find differences, but is it practically important? It doesn't matter. Though. Right? So you say, does this matter? That's the question you're asking. It's so small that I don't care. You're always going to find differences. It's like correlations. You're always going to find some of correlations if you test enough people. But who cares? So if I test 30, 30 million people, if I test everybody in Canada and find that the size of their little toe correlates with their IQ, the correlation is 0.005, but I've tested 37 million people, so it's statistically significant at the bottom level. And who cares? Yeah, so you're making a practicality. And that's why we typically say, I'm just going to choose 0.5, because that's 66% overlap, but that's enough that I can see that difference between those two. Distributions. If they're overlapping so much that I can't even see it, like 99 percent I don't care. Right? This is not. People ask actually, oh, they say, what, what is delta? It's called the non-centrality parameter. What we we assume HO when we do a statistic. Right? We assume the hypothesis is true, then we try to see how likely it is that it's not true. Well, under HL, the expected value of T is zero. If HO is true, those two distributions completely overlap, then U1 minus U0 is zero. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, if the two distributions overlap completely, in other words, if HO is true, yeah. then the expected value of T is zero, because it says that U1 minus U0, well, if it's the two things that are the same subtract from each other it equals zero. So our expected value is zero. So it's how likely is we find a value of delta that is greater than t at 0.05. So in fact, if you were to figure out what delta is, it's it's just like a t-distribution in this case. But it's when we don't expect it to be zero. Because remember, we've set up a thing saying it's actually this big. Even though we never can know that to be true. We can't know that to be true. So I just throw this in here because someone always asks, well, what is delta? Well, that's what delta is. The big takeaway from all of this is that doing these calculations, even if it simply involves going to a power calculation website and putting some stuff in, saying how big an effect size you want, you want, what's your 0.05, whatever, this is not hard to do. So do power calculations before you do a study. They aren't hard to do. They can be usually automated by some website um, or in the back of a book. They're all like, what we have here for the t test in the back of our book is so close to being automated. You sub some stuff in and come up with a number and you solve for N, it's pretty close. It's easy enough to do, it's worth doing. And my students always, my art students always say, how many subjects do I need? And I was asking the same question. How big a difference do you think this is? And I draw some pictures off of it. Do you think it's that big, that big? I and mean, we usually come up with something like that. And I say, yeah, it's probably right. So that's the effect size of 0.5. And I say, you probably need about this many people. How did you do that this? Year? Do a arithmetic in my hand. Not that hard. So usually people always say, I have 45 people per group. Why? You don't need that many. It doesn't help you anyway. You, you know, I don't know all told, let's say, this many per group. If it's not there, and I would say the same thing. If you can't find this difference with, say, 25 people per group, do you care? In other words, I'm asking, do they care about the effects on And you go, oh, Not hard to do. Sorry.
2: town. Everything's on the edge of town. Box stores, they are piling up. How I wish I could knock them down. Give them a coat. Give them a cap. In design, through reality those cars need room to roll those in the greenery make perfect lines.
0: learned something but if you didn't I unless you're one of my students I really don't care um, the music by the way for each uh, song for each uh, uh, episode <laughs> lecture uh, is uh, available they're all podcast uh, like podsafe music so if you want to uh, find out about the bands there's links on my website at people slash broadback uh, if those links don't work just contact me and I'll find uh, I'll find out um, Often I put links, uh, actually, in the, uh, if we call show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next time.